Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 26 this morning. We have this Sunday and next Sunday as we conclude our series on engaging with culture and looking at, at uh, different uh, passages out of the book of Acts and how different folks uh, shared the gospel in the context of, of their culture of their day and how that could apply to us this, uh, in our generation. I'm not going to read through the passage like I normally do on Sunday mornings. I'm going to take bits and pieces as we go along. So if you have your, your Bible open or your touchpad, keep it there. We'll, we'll get there uh, in just a couple of minutes. Alan Brawley is a, a uh, current-day writer. He uh, is a freelance guy, writes for several publications, but he is a self-avowed uh, agnostic, and he wrote a piece. It's actually been about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer, last May of 2012, and the title of this article was A Prayer to Jesus from an Admiring Skeptic. I'm not going to read the entire article for you. You could, you could, you could Google his name and find it yourself. Uh, it's pretty long, but I'm going to read two paragraphs out of there because as we think about Acts chapter 26 this morning, in the context of this passage, Paul is telling his story. Paul is telling his story in relation to Jesus' story of bringing people into salvation. And, and Brawley has some observations, some of which I don't think are necessarily fair, some of which I think could cause, uh, cause pause for us this morning in a healthy way. So let me just read a couple of paragraphs out of his, his article. What does not make sense to me, given your message and actions, is what's being done by large numbers of people who claim to be your most ardent followers. They go to war in your name, acquire huge fortunes in your name, and cast stones in your name. And while claiming to sanctify life, they stand by while young lives are stunted and often destroyed by unrelieved poverty, and the sick go untreated. This they do while claiming to be your elect ones. How could this be? This is not the Jesus I read about or heard about over and over again. So Jesus, if you're truly divine, all-knowing, omnipotent, please do something about these so-called Christians. I know it's a bit presumptuous of me, an acknowledged skeptic, to be petitioning you this way, but desperate times call for desperate measures, as they say. No, not one of your sayings, of course. Some sign or action on your part might help. I'm not talking about what some of your more extreme followers are eagerly anticipating, Armageddon, the end times, the rapture, and all of that doomsday stuff. Short of your own imminent return, a latter-day John the Baptist might be a step in the right direction. Regardless, I leave it in your hands with faith that you will do the right thing based on everything I know about you. Sincerely, Alan Brawley, admiring skeptic. Now, again, I think Brawley takes some liberties that are not fair and or accurate, uh, but I believe his concern about the life story of the Christian community is worth our time and attention in the context of Acts 26. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I have a story to tell. Much of it is my story, but much of it is also God's story. It's the redemptive work of Jesus in my life, so it's Jesus' story. Does my life reflect that story? Do I understand my story in a way that I could actually share it with other people? If I ran into Alan Brawley, I don't plan to, I don't think he lives in St. Louis, but if I ran into him, could I sit down with him and have a conversation and say, let's talk about these things? Paul finds himself in a bit of a pickle in Acts chapter 26, but what comes out of that crisis in his life where he's actually a bit on trial for, for his very life is the opportunity to tell his story 
in the context of Jesus' story. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be doing that in Acts 26. Before we jump in, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for your, your perfect and your true word. Lord, as we come to worship you this morning, we, we come with emotions, uh, with joy in our hearts, some of us with sorrow, Lord, as, as we were singing, uh, no more sorrow, no more pain, uh, thinking about a day that will come when uh, the hope we have turns into reality, when this brokenness is gone and my, my tendency towards sin is gone, and I'll have the opportunity to, to fall and to worship you in a way that uh, never experienced before. Lord, we, we long for that day, but in the meantime, as we come to worship you, we, we not only want to worship you with our emotions, we want to worship you with our minds. And we want to know your word so that we can apply it to our lives, so that your spirit can apply it to our lives. So, Father, we come this morning not for my word. That isn't very important at all. We hear people's opinions all week long. Father, we come to hear your truth. And I pray for that to take place this morning in every mind and heart in this room. Lord, we pray that you would speak to the people gathered here. Forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know, to learn, and to apply this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, very quickly, the context of Acts chapter 26. Paul has already stood before the governor, Festus, who you'll meet in this story in a little bit. And he is on trial by uh, some folks who are of uh, his same nationality, the Jewish nationality, but they don't like what he's doing in following Jesus. And so they're, they're trying to get him imprisoned and or put to death. And Paul has spoken to Felix, and Felix has kind of thrown up his hands and said, I'm not really sure what to do with this. But as this is transpiring, uh, Festus gets a visit from King Agrippa, who has been put in place by Caesar over that region of the Roman Empire, and Festus knows that Agrippa has some background in Jewish theology. Uh, he understands some of the Old Testament. He, his great-grandmother was actually Jewish, so, so Agrippa has some Jewish blood flowing in his veins. So he says to him one day during this visit, hey, I've got this guy named Paul. I'd love for you to kind of hear this case with me and give me your opinion because I've, I've kind of thrown my hands up. I'm not sure what to do. And in chapter 26, Paul comes before Agrippa and Festus again, and he makes his case and he tells his story. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in the context of how do we then think about telling our story in our day and our age. Let's begin with verses 1 through 3. And I'm actually going to read off the screen this morning because I've condensed a few verses to, to kind of just get right to our point. So Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak. Then Paul made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. I beg you, therefore, to listen to me patiently. Now, if you look at these verses for a couple minutes, I think you'll, you'll agree with me that Paul is connecting with his listener. Paul is not standing up in front of Agrippa and being rude and obnoxious. Paul is not there to, to debate with Agrippa or with Festus or anyone else that's gathered there listening. He's there to speak the truth of what's happened in his life. And so he begins in a very respectful, very polite, very friendly tone of voice. So Agrippa, I'm so glad that you're able to hear this. I know that you have some background in these things. I know you understand these things. You know, more often than not, just being a nice person 
just being polite when you talk to someone who's not a believer, probably would go a really long way in letting them see the truth of the gospel. I was reading an article earlier this week about how to win an argument, as if I need more of that in my life. Um, you know, Cindy will tell you, I'll argue it all the way into the absurd, even when it doesn't make any sense anymore, just because I want to win the debate. So I'm reading this article, which I really shouldn't read, and here's one of the things they said. If you really want to get people to think you know what you're talking about, and really, you know, almost just kind of give in and accept you as the one who wins, use words in your conversation like devastate and annihilate and destroy. And I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds good. Well, you're going to annihilate, you know, we're going we're gonna to destroy this. And, we're gonna, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There, there's nothing kind about that. There's nothing compassionate about that. There's nothing in caring for the other person about that. That's about winning the argument and, and, and losing the person. And Paul doesn't do that. Paul, Paul shows some, some graciousness and just some simple friendliness and, and, and respectfulness. He also acknowledges Agrippa's thoughtfulness and, and Agrippa's common understanding. Again, his great-grandmother was, was Jewish. She certainly grew up learning some of those traditions. And Paul applauds that. He doesn't challenge him right out of the box. He doesn't come with, with an, with an uh, argumentative spirit. He's saying to Agrippa, hey, you know what? You and I actually have a lot in common. We have some things we could really talk about here. And then he asks Agrippa for careful consideration. So He says, I, I beg you to listen to me with patience. Translate that into conversations that, that we have in our day and age. And the idea of Brawley is that, that Christians can be the most obnoxious people you've ever met. They can be the most argumentative. They can be the most condescending. They can be the most self-righteous people, all while they claim to follow one who is humble and meek and mild and came to seek and to save and came to be a servant of all. And, and I understand why Brawley and others sometimes have a hard time putting that together when they look at my life or they look at the lives of other believers. And we need to be asking the question, where, where can we connect? How can I relate to those around me if I really do care about them? If I really do want to be used by God to be a witness for Jesus, how can I find avenues of, of commonality? Where are ways I could just show simple kindness or an interest in another person that might lead me to a conversation with them about things of great importance? I was at a, a, a golf tournament earlier this week, actually on Friday, and, we, and it rained a lot, so we, we were delayed a long time, and I happened to run into a guy who was wearing a, a University of Alabama hat, and my youngest son, Jordan, goes to University of Alabama, so I said, hey, roll tide, and he turned around, roll tide, and we began to talk. I don't know if I'll ever see that guy again in my life, but we got a chance to just engage a little bit. When did you go to Alabama? You know, how, where are you living? He's actually living here in Kirkwood. He might be a much stronger disciple of Jesus than me. I have no idea, but just that kind of casual conversation and thinking, Lord, if you want to use this for something greater, I just want to put my best foot forward. I just want to be polite and kind and, and friendly. Are we thinking daily in the context of our story of connecting with those with whom we speak? Secondly, and I have four observations. Secondly, notice that Paul shares a good deal of his past with his listeners. If we could go to, there you go. Paul says in verse 4, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. I was convinced that I ought to do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, 
But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and trying to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. Paul is sharing his past with Agrippa. Paul is being, in a sense, very much of an open book. A lot of times people get a little bit scared of the church or, or get a little bit nervous about being around Christians because they perceive that they think they're, Christians think they're better than others. They think that, you know, it's kind of like one of the things I don't like about this room is I'm up here on a stage looking, looking down at people. Uh, we just had our congregational meeting. We talked just very briefly about the building, but one of the things we're going to correct there is that, that where the preacher preaches is actually going to be a little bit lower so that it's, it's more in tune with reality, which is I'm right next to you when it comes to my brokenness and my sinfulness. The preacher isn't better than anybody. He's probably worse than most. And Paul acknowledges that he has a past. Now, I don't think he's bragging about it. I don't think he's, he's trying to make a huge deal out of it. He's simply helping Agrippa understand the context in which he's speaking. Now, I want to pause here for just a second and say, Paul has a pretty astounding story to tell. And we haven't even gotten to the whole, the whole story yet. But his past is, in terms of Christianity, a pretty shady past. It's one of those that if they came up here on Sunday morning, told their life story, and said, you know, I, I grew up in another country where Christianity was against the law, and I actually helped kill Christians. And then God found me, and he saved me. We would all say, what? Wow. Wow, that's pretty impressive. But remember this, friends. It's not about your story being wow. <laughs> it's about your story and my story being authentic. <laughs> Paul's telling the truth of his life. And I'm sure there were many times where Paul felt great shame for what he had done in the past. And, I, and a lot of us say, man, I just wish my, my testimony or my story was more exciting. I wish there was you know, kind of just more, more craziness or whatever so that it could really look awesome that God saved me. And I would say, if you look a little closer, it is pretty amazing that God saved you. I have a relatively benign story of, you know, I, I didn't go crazy in my youth. I did things I shouldn't have, but my mom's here. I'm not going to talk about them. But... But I don't have really a wow story, but let me tell you something. I'm just as wretched a loss as anybody else, and I need a Savior just as much as anybody else. And to be an open book and just to say, you know what, let me tell you what's really happened in my life. There was a phenomenal Christian comedian in the 1970s. I I grew up listening to in high school, traveled all over the country, probably all over the world, telling a story and weaving it with, uh, with humor that was just phenomenal. And thousands and thousands of people would turn out to hear him. And, and then in the context, he would talk about Jesus. And the only problem was the part about Jesus was exactly true. And everything else about his life, he made up. Ended up being a huge fraud and a huge liar. Think of what that did to people who were trying to figure out whether God was real or not and, and whether or not they wanted to follow Jesus. We need to be authentic in an open book. We also, Paul does some admitting of his prior skepticism or rejection of Christ. I think that provided a common ground. I think what he's saying to Agrippa, it's not me against you. It's not me looking down on you. It's us. We, we both need some help here, Agrippa. And my past shows just that, which then lays the groundwork for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. So are we willing to share our past? Are we willing to tell the truth of our story, whatever it is? Are we speaking with our listener, or are we preaching down or preaching at people? Paul went out of his way to connect with his listener. He also was very willing to give the context of his past with his listener, but he also didn't ignore theology. Paul understood that theology was 
very important that actually the, 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 the message itself is not my life. The message itself is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to tell a bit more of his story. As he was traveling to Damascus at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it, hard, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's, that's a way of saying you're beating your head against the wall. You're getting nowhere. The wall's winning. And that, in, in, G, in Paul's day, that was a way of saying what you're doing is absolutely futile. Don't you realize that? And I said to Lord, who are you? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul is, is telling the story of how and where Jesus found him. He's telling him that, that Jesus is the Christ. If we could go to that, that next slide, please. He goes on to say, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the regions of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. To this day, I've, been, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying, that's telling my story, both to the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses would say would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. In that few verses, Paul lays out the message of all of Scripture. Paul understands that it isn't just about his story. It's not just about a radical transformation, but it's about the truth that Jesus is the Christ. And we've talked about that term before. If you're new to that term, it means that he's the chosen one. He's the Messiah. He's the Redeemer. He's the one who's going to come and set everything right for the, for the Jewish people as well as for the world, for all who will put their faith in, law, in him alone. And Agrippa understands this. When Paul used that term, the Christ, Agrippa knew exactly where he was headed. He was saying that Jesus alone is the manifestation of all of God's redemptive promises in the Old Testament. That Jesus took his punishment, the punishment he deserved by dying on the cross. And through his resurrection, he guaranteed Paul's everlasting life because he was one who believed in Jesus. Paul was not ignoring theology he was giving theology in the context of his story. And very simply here in this, in this third observation, Paul has a laser-like precision to bring this truth home in, in a very succinct manner. Do you and I know the Word of God that well? As we begin to tell our story, as we begin to acknowledge some, you know, what our life has been, and then we begin to point people to Jesus, are we comfortable with the truth and the message? Can we turn in our Bible or could we could recite from memory some verses that would point people to this truth? When we talk about having what we call a quiet time, sitting down alone on a daily basis or somewhat close to that and reading our Bible, picking up scripture and, and sitting down and saying, okay, Lord, teach me. I'm here to learn and here to listen. 
Do we understand that we're not just doing that to check off a box and say, well, I did what a Christian should do today. <laughs> I've, I've got that one covered. Now I can go on and get on with the rest of my day. No, it's to prepare us. It's to prepare us to worship God as we go through our day. And some of that worship may be actually interacting with someone who needs to know the truth of God's salvation and God's mercy. The more we read the word, the more we will live the word. And the more people will see that our story is connected to the story of Jesus. Which leads me to the fourth observation in this text. And that Paul is not trying to win an argument, but rather he is making a gracious offer. Look at verses 24 through 29. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, remember Festus is the governor, okay? He's the the guy appointed by Caesar over this region. Said with a loud voice, it's like he shouted at Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. It's like, Paul, you're, you're crazy. How could you possibly say these things? But notice Paul doesn't, he doesn't panic. He doesn't attack Festus for the, for the comment. He just simply keeps bearing on. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these change. Chains, excuse me, change, (laughs) chains. Paul is saying, my story is just a small portion of God's bigger story. It's not crazy to think, Festus, that God is gracious and God is merciful. It's not crazy, Festus, to think that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and that we've offended a holy God and we will be judged by our evil deeds, our evil thoughts, our evil words and actions, those things that offend a holy God. But it's not crazy to think that God would be full of compassion and mercy and grace. And if you're going to hear my story, Agrippa or Festus or whoever, my next door neighbor, your, your business partner, the, the teacher in our classroom, wherever we find ourselves, it's going to be hearing the story of God's compassion. It's going to be understanding that my story is about his mercy and his grace for all those who trust in him for salvation. My story is simply an invitation given to you that you would also be saved. My story says to you, put your faith in Jesus. It's that simple and it's that bold at the same time. Paul doesn't mince his words. Paul's Paul's polite to Festus. He calls him most excellent Festus. But he also challenges. I'm not here just to defend my life, Paul says. I'm here to preach the gospel of Jesus. Because that is the only means of salvation. Do our words and our lives look like a gracious offer? or a desire to win an argument? (laughs) Or do we even have the uh, intuitive aspect of our faith to the degree that we're looking for the opportunity to have the conversation? I think so often I kind of go through my days with, you know, with kind of these blinders on my eyes, and and I don't even stop to think there may be someone God's bringing across my pathway that needs to hear the gospel. And am I ready and prepared to tell my story in the context of Jesus's story. I was at Schnucks yesterday buying some stuff for church, and 
we have a, a corporate card at Schnucks because we can get the tax off of it because we're not for profit. And so I was, I was going through the checkout line. And there weren't very many people in Schnucks. I think it was maybe early afternoon or late morning. And I just had three or four things. And the guy that was checking me out, I always show him, it says tax exempt, don't charge me the tax. And, and then he said, now, now, who is this? I said, it's Green Tree Community Church. And uh, he started to do some buttons. I said, wait, who, tell me the name again. Tell me. I said, Green Tree Community Church. And I'm like, you know, I'm, come on, I got to go. I got to get, you know, my sermon. I got to go serve Jesus. Let's, let's get a move on here, you know. And, uh, and so then I go over and I push the buttons. And he says, now, wait a minute. What, what organization? I said, Green Tree Community Church. I said it about like that. And I couldn't quite see him, but out of the perfor- peripheral vision, I kind of caught that there was a person standing right there who said in a pretty loud voice, I know Green Tree Community Church. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and I turned and I looked. And it was actually the guy that was bagging the groceries. And I don't know his name. I see him all the time. I, you know, I know to say hello to him. But he looked at me and he goes, you know how I know Green Tree Community Church? And I'm like, just please don't be through me. He goes, I know the mother of the pastor of that church. She goes to my church. And I said, really, does she? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, let me tell you this. And I know this for a fact from personal experience. She's a lot better than her son. <laughs> and he goes, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. And I go, so, well, when you see her, you know, you, you tell her that you saw somebody from Green Tree, not the pastor. Um, I didn't actually lie about it. But at that moment, the best my story was, was, hey, you ought to look at my mom. That would be a good person to check out when it comes to the gospel. Couldn't say, look at me. I was agitated. I, I was unhappy that I was in line as long as I was. You know, not thinking about whether a person's soul might hang in the balance or not. How pathetic is that? Your story and my story are not going to be perfect. There are going to be times when we don't tell it well because we don't live it well. And there are times when I look at, at what Brawley wrote and I go, yep, that's right. Not the Christian community out there. This Christian needs to take a good hard look at whether or not the gospel is really being applied to his life. But that's the good news of the story, that it's Jesus' story. And it's in those moments when I can come back and remember the forgiveness. I can remember the grace in which I stand. And so this morning, we're going to end, and we're going to do something a little bit odd, but we're going to take about three minutes, and not, not more than three minutes, and you can take out a pencil and a piece of paper if you want. You don't have to, but I would invite you to do so. Or maybe you've got a touch pad you can write. I would like for you to just jot down some thoughts about your story. It doesn't really matter what it is. It could be some thoughts about your past. could be if I was telling this story, what do I know about Jesus that I could tell? Maybe write down some of those things. If you're here this morning, you're kind of seeking but not sure whether you're a believer or not. Or maybe you know you're not and you're wondering about these things. You might say, Here's five questions I have for God that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jot those down. But we're gonna, the, the worship guys are going to play for a couple minutes before we close in singing. Just take a few minutes and think about your story, if you're a disciple of Jesus, in the context of his story, and maybe meditate a bit on uh, that uh, part of your life, and maybe even spend a moment of prayer saying, Lord, strengthen me in my story so that I could be a witness for Jesus.
blessed assurance Jesus is mine
sometime before Christmas, Jack. <laughs> He's just praising the Lord. If I could praise the Lord that way, I'd do that too. We're so glad you came to worship with us this morning. Uh, if you're visiting, I typically stand over by that door. Would love to welcome you to Green Tree and just uh, get a name with a face. Uh, our prayer team is always right over here. If we can pray for you about anything, we would love to do that. And don't forget to sign up for 2028. And now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in his name. May the grace and the mercy and the peace of God flow in you through his goodness and through you to a world who needs his mercy. To him alone be glory until the day we see him face to face. Amen. Lord bless you. Go in peace.